This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Uh, as we open up Super Bowl week, we'll have a busy week of shows for you leading right up to the game. And then we will have a uh, Super Bowl uh, review podcast right after the game. So it'll be up by the time you wake up Monday morning. It will be there. Uh, so a big week. Now, the Super Bowl is late this year. It's, it's the 12th because of the extended season. This is where they want it. They'd like to back it up one more week, as I've told you many, many times. But they, here we go. It's going to be on February 12th. And just to show you, pitches and catches for a lot of teams report the next day, the 13th. So baseball will be active in Florida, and you can get your countdown to spring. You're a month away from the NCAA tournament, which is one of the sure signs of spring and gives you all that sporting action right into baseball and then of course the nba and the nhl playoffs the derby etc the baseball season and everything else the nfl draft and away we go as the carousel never stops so we've reached the end of the nfl season the eagles have really solidified as a one and a half point favorite it hasn't moved in days i don't know if it'll even move at all uh, at this point i doubt it will um, Eagles, one and a half point favorites, 50 and a half is the total. And we'll get into more about the game as the days go by, as we lead up towards the game. I always look at the game, um, from a standpoint of where it is. Arizona is a good, is, is a good venue to watch the game. It's not a great site because it's so spread out if you're there. You like it being more confined. You like all the action to be in a small Senate area. That doesn't happen there. I'm fascinated by next year. Uh, I never thought in my lifetime I would see a Super Bowl in Vegas. It's almost a collision of worlds having the Super Bowl in Vegas. I can almost see Pete Rozelle turning over in his grave thinking about the Super Bowl being in Las Vegas. But can you imagine? I can't even imagine having been to so many Super Bowls in my life and been there for the week so many, many times, I cannot even fathom what's going to go on with the excess in the Super Bowl in Vegas. I mean, it's hard to fathom. I think I'm going to have to go experience it for myself, but we'll worry about that next year. That is a year away. As we said, one and a half and 50 and a half as we head towards Super Sunday, you always look at who the game favors or who the game is important for. Is this a free ride for the Eagles? I think it is. Where they are in their ascendancy, where the quarterback is, where the coach is, I think it is. They can lose this game, bounce back. It's an enormous game in the careers of one, and absolutely one, Andy Reid, and two, Mahomes. Now, Mahomes is still very young, and this is his third Super Bowl in five years. But 
if you think you can count on being there year after year, then you know nothing of NFL history. You don't know when you're getting back. You don't know when this ride ends for the Chiefs. It's been an amazing ride. Five straight AFC titles. They've won seven titles under Reed in 10 years. They've been to the playoffs nine times. They've been in the AFC title game five years in a row. They're in their third Super Bowl. They won one. They lost one. The second one is so important. The second one will make Andy Reid an immortal coach. He needs that second Super Bowl, though. He doesn't need a 1-3 Super Bowl record on his ledger. He was 0-1 with the Eagles, who he got to the title game five times, the NFC title game, but only went to the Super Bowl once and lost by three points to the Pats. That's that crazy McNabb game in the huddle, the whole thing. But he did win a Super Bowl against San Francisco. I was there down in Florida. He lost one when they were beat up on the offensive line, and he didn't have a very good game. Neither he nor Mahomes. And the second one, think about where Andy Reid will stand. Andy Reid is the only coach ever to win 100 games with each team and take that team to the conference championship four straight years. He did it with the Eagles. He's done it with the Chiefs. He's won 247 games. That's fifth all time. Shula, Hallis, Belichick, Landry, at 250, and Reed at 247. He's won 21 postseason games. That second Super Bowl victory, which sets you apart as a coach, as a player, as a quarterback, that will make Andy Reed one of the great coaches in football history. That would mean right now you have active two of the greatest coaches in football history and Belichick and Andy Reid. Andy Reid's fifth. He's going to be fourth if he coaches one more year. He's only got three more wins to pass Landry. Next to him is Belichick, and Belichick's got almost 300. He's got 298 or something. But that's an incredible achievement. So this win is so big. I don't know if Andy's going to get back one more year with the Chiefs or two more years with the Chiefs or how long. I don't know how long he's going to coach. And I don't know how many times he's going to get back there. If you think it's a given, it's not. I remember, and, I've, and this example is brought up all the time. In his second season, Dan Marino led the Dolphins to the Super Bowl. How impressive were they? Well, they wound up being a one-point favorite against the, 84, against the 84 Niners, who are considered one of the great teams of all time, and who blasted them in that game. And Bill Walsh told you, and told everyone to listen, that was the best team he ever had. It also marked the only time Dan Marino ever went to the Super Bowl in that incredible career. He never got back. You don't know when you're going to get back. It's not easy to win Super Bowls. Belichick and Brady made it look easy. It isn't easy. It's hard to get there. And that's why for Andy Reid, this is an enormous game. And for Mahomes, it's a big game. If he wins the second now, he's already a Hall of Fame player. If he's ever done anything else. That's how much this game matters to the Chiefs. It's that important. It just changes the way, you know, Andy's career in Philly was considered frustrating. Some even called it a failure. It wasn't a failure. 
He just didn't win a Super Bowl. And that's why if he gets beat by that team, who he couldn't win with, it's going to be even harder. It's a very big game for them. And it's going to be a tough game, a very hard game. We'll get to that later in the week. You know, it's an interesting time in the NFL. Do you know this is the first time since 2001 that we have gone four years in the NFL without having the Pats in the Super Bowl? That's very telling. That means the Pats era of dominance was was incredibly dominant. Is over. They have not been to the Super Bowl in four years. Their expectations aren't great. They're probably not going back next year or the year after. So the bottom line is the Patriot era is finally closed. And this has become the chief era. How dominant that becomes, we wait and see. All right, emails, MikeFrancesaPodcast at gmail.com. Send your emails. We're going to have a busy week of shows. We're going to look for podcasts all week. Look for interviews. Look for Super Bowl stuff. Look for previews. Look for our Football Friday show. Look for our post-game analysis. We are going to have wall-to-wall shows all week on Super Bowl week for you this week, so keep looking. All right. Naraz asks about the Rooney Rule. If you're an NFL owner, what would, you do, what would you do to eliminate all forms of bias in your team's hiring process? And do you think the NFL has done enough, even with the changes they've made? All right, the Rooney Rule helps, but it can still be circumvented. We know that there are token interviews that are done just to placate the Rooney Rule. But here's the bottom line. The only thing the NFL can do to make sure that more minorities get head coaching jobs is this, is make sure there are more coaches of minority status in the pipeline, meaning more assistance, more coordinators, many more coordinators. That will lead to head coaches. If you don't, the, the almost automatic way, college is a slight chance to get ascendancy into the NFL as a head coach from college. Very rare. Very rare. It can happen. Shaw could have done it in Stanford before his career collapsed. Harbor obviously has gone back and forth. You can do it, but it's rare. The main way you become a head coach in the NFL is be an assistant coach, be a coordinator, and then become a head coach. As D'Amico Ryans just did. That's the way it works. They're almost always going to interview and hire coordinators. That's the plan. The only way this works is to get more minority coaches into the pipeline. That will produce more head coaches. It's as simple as that. It's not any more complicated than that. The more that are in the pipeline will create more candidates. You got some guys, who knows? Maybe they have some inward biases and will never hire a minority as the, as the face of their franchise. Maybe they won't. And you know what? You're not going to change that guy. Eventually, you'll have minority owners. That's going to take another generation. There are very few of those. 
And most of them are going to be prominent players that become that, like Michael Jordan, who owns 89% of the Charlotte. But the key is get them in the pipeline, and then everybody moves along accordingly. That's the only way it works. Craig, I'm curious how you prepare for shows and how you keep your finger on uh, the pulse of what's going on. How do you do it? I'd love to hear some specifics. Um, I have no specifics, Craig, except to say this. This is all I've ever known. I still do the same things I did my whole life. I did this as a little boy. I, you know, in those days, there weren't that many games that you could view. And I played. I watched. I learned. And to me, watching a game, has, you know, I've always said this to people. If watching a game or going to a game is a chore then you shouldn't be in this business. You're not going to be a great talk show host if you don't like sports. And if you don't like going to games. See, I love games. I don't like some of the nonsense. I'm not into the gossip. I'm not into that stuff, okay? I like games. I like analyzing games. I like thinking games. I like thinking games as a coach would think a game. That's what I like. So I still watch everything. I watch as much NFL as I did when I did my NFL football show, you know, for years and worked Monday through, you know, Sunday. I still watch exactly the same amount of NFL. I still watch as much sports as I did when I was on the field. There's not any question. Now, I might get away from it for a week like in February, which, you know, I always try to do anyway, but if I can, I would. I can take a longer time away from it in February than I would. I don't like February. I hate February. This next month is painful for me. I don't like it. I go to Florida to play golf for a while. I don't like it. I never have liked it. I never liked February. July, I don't mind because it's hot, and I got Saratoga. So I didn't never mind. I never minded July, and I love the summer. I've always been a summer person. I grew up on the beach. I, I'm a summer person. So that doesn't bother me. February, I detest. I've always detested February. I've always detested the time from the AFC and NFC title games, and that's for me when it starts. And I don't like the end of the college basketball season. I don't look at anything in the last two weeks of the season, and then I pick it back up in the conference championships because I think all you get is misleading takes on teams in the last two weeks of the regular season. You get a lot of peculiar results. You get a lot of upsets. I don't like that. And then I like to watch the conference championships, especially the week where it's the one-and-done teams. That's always fun. I like a couple teams already that I got marked down. I like Sam Houston State. I like Oral Roberts. I got teams I'm already marked down for the tournament and stuff like that. I love that. And you know I love the tournament. I love you know, every game. I watch every game of tournament. I like to, you know, go through the entire tournament. That's that, And that will start in a month. So it's a shorter time than it's been. And then before you know it, baseball starts. Now, baseball starts slowly anyway. The weather stinks. And it's cold and there's rain outs. And it takes baseball a while to get its batteries up. But then you got the NBA playoffs, which I love. And the Stanley Cup playoffs, which I love. I don't watch a hockey game all year. I love watching the playoffs. I love the Stanley Cup playoffs is a great event. 
I love the games. And I know you say, well, where are you all season? I don't watch it during the regular season. I admit it. I can't do everything. I don't watch it. I don't watch that much NBA during the regular season, but I watch it every night in the playoffs. I love playoff basketball. I love the NCAA tournament. I love Stanley Cup playoffs. Love it. I love the intensity. I love everything about it. I've never liked these two weeks up to the Super Bowl. I've never liked this week with all the hype and nonsense because basically people don't know what to say anymore. They, it's, like, it's like they're interviewing each other. It, nobody, knows, nobody has anything to say or knows what to say. It's one game, and you're spending two weeks analyzing one game, and it's just too much. But there's no way around it. That's the way it works. It looks like we have a very good game this year. I, I can't see one of these teams pounding on the other one. I don't think that happens. I don't think that's possible. If it was going to happen, it would be the Eagles pounding on the Chiefs, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Chiefs are underrated defensively, and I think Chris Jones is a big factor. And he was wonderful in, in the conference championship game. And obviously Mahomes with two weeks and being healthy, I would think he's going to be able to move and throw. And if he can move and throw, that also means he can run for first downs. Hurts, on the other hand, I didn't like how he threw the ball. I think his shoulder's a problem. He did not throw the ball at all. He was off target all day. Now, maybe it was the wind. Somebody told me the wind in that stadium that day was terrible. They were there, and they said the wind was unbelievable. And they didn't talk a lot about the wind a little bit, but not very much on the game. And somebody told me in the stadium that day the wind was terrible. So maybe that was a factor because he was not accurate like he's been all season. So from that standpoint, as far as getting back to the question, hey, it's what I do. It's what I live. So it's never changed. It never will for me. That's why I was good at what I did, but that's also why it was the perfect job for me. Chris says, uh, loved your take on, loved your appearance on First Take and your take on Brady. Uh, a group of my friends and I share the opinion that Brady is overrated as an athlete, maybe the most overrated athlete in our, in our lifetimes. That's not fair. Listen, the point I was making was when everyone says he's the greatest of all time, when you look at the years he played and the numbers he put up and how much he won, if that's your argument and you end it right there, fine, that's it. But if you ask me to break the games down as I look at them, I separate the regular season and the postseason, and I've said this many times, the best regular season player I've seen, and I've watched wall-to-wall football every day for 40 years, never missing a week in the regular season having the availability always to see every game. And I say that Manning was the best player I saw at quarterback in those years, in 40 years, better in the regular season than any player I saw. He also won five MVPs. That's not a knock on Brady. That's just a fact. Manning was not a great postseason player. As a matter of fact, he was a below-average postseason player. He never got his game back to where it was in the regular season. I think he was nervous. I think he didn't play well on the nerves. His brother played better on the nerves. 
Brady in the postseason has been a tremendous performer, but was he as good as Joe Montana? Not even close. If you look at the Super Bowls that Joe Montana played and just take it a Super Bowl thing, Joe Montana in the Super Bowl was let it perfect. His quarterback rating is like a 127 and change. Brady's is like 95. That's not knocking Brady, but look at the difference. That does not knock Brady. And here's what I will say about Brady. If you ask me to put Brady in perspective here, I will. And to knock him as being overrated is crazy. Here's my point. What Brady did is something that is extremely rare in American sport. It has only been done by a handful of people. And that is you become the face of winning, the face of success. You become synonymous with success in your sport. Bill Russell had that, but America wasn't ready for him yet. Boston sure wasn't ready for him yet. Michael Jordan did that. In individual sports, Tiger Woods did that. I think Jack Nicklaus did that. Tom Brady did that. He became the symbol of success. Winning, what did winning look like? It looked like Tom Brady. So when you think of success in the NFL, the first face you see. The guy who held that position before Brady, you know who he was? It was Bart Starr. Bart Starr was not the greatest quarterback. But Bart Starr put together an incredible resume of winning and playing brilliantly in big games. And winning all the time. He and Lombardi went 9-1 and one in the postseason. And won five straight championships and three and two straight Super Bowls. Nobody beat them. They got beat by the Eagles. And as the saying goes, they were nine yards short. And Lombardi told the team, we will never be nine yards short again. They never were. They never lost another postseason game. They won every postseason game they played after. He stood in that room. They thought he was going to the Giants that day, and he didn't. And he said... Nine yards short. We finished nine yards short of our goal. And he looked around the room and he said, we will never finish nine yards short again. And they never did. Brady has become that face of success, synonymous with success, the face of winning in the NFL. And that's the place he holds. You can't take that away from him. You can't take all those Super Bowl titles away from him, all those Super Bowl appearances away from him. You can't take all the wins away from him. And he played 23 years, which is insane. So anything he gets, kudos. But I just tell you what I see and what I watched. And all I said was Manning was the best regular season quarterback. Montana was the best Super Bowl quarterback. Put Brady wherever you want. But when you look at the overall resume, his resume is the best. Chris and Hawthorne, I know you reflect a lot on the spring of 94. We've never had a year like that, that's for sure. Can you touch on how electric the garden was and what it, and what it meant, what it would have meant if the Knicks had won a championship? It would have been, the, it, it couldn't have gotten much better, but if the Knicks had won a championship, it would have been amazing. And they should have won a championship. And, you know, everybody points to game six, and we were there. And, obviously, I still see the Oakley pass going from one end to the other out of bounds, which was uh, Knicks with the ball up one. 
which was critical, and he threw it out of bounds. I see the shots going in. I see the misses in game six and then getting blown out in game seven. But the game that sticks in my head is game three. Series is 1-1. Game three, which I believe was on a Sunday. It might have been Monday. I can't remember. Because game four was on a Wednesday and game five was on a Friday. And that was the OJ game, game five. Um, it was a bad shooting game, tight game, as a lot of this series was. Ewing had a, had a terrible shooting game. He had a lot of bad shooting games in that series. Um, he was like 9 for 29, something like that. Um, but the thing that I've mentioned to you through the years, in a close game, I think the final score was 93-89, Sam Cassell came off the bench and killed them. He made... Big shots. He made big threes. He scored 15 points off the bench in just a handful of minutes, and it killed them in a game that was 93-89. It killed them. I think he was three for three from three, if I remember right. He just he made big shots, and they lost that game. They won game four easy. They won game five easy. They would have won that in five games, and it would have been over with. And never go back to Houston. They went back to Houston and lost a tight game, and then they lost – Got blown out in game seven. Kenny Smith finally got hot and they got blown out. As far as the OJ game, I was there. It was bizarre. I stayed in the arena and watched the basketball. I did walk out a couple of times to watch. And and half the audience was outside in the vestibules watching the OJ chase on TV. It's just the way it was. It was a bizarre. I, I don't think the players realized they were wondering why there were nobody in the seats. I mean, the whole thing was so strange. It was such a, that was such a strange thing anyway that captured America, but it was really strange during that NBA game, which I believe NBC went to a split screen. I believe that's what happened. I wasn't watching, but I think that's what happened. Doug emails, is there a comparison to Mattingly and David Wright? They were both on pace to be Hall of Famers, if not for their back issues. I would say, yes, Mattingly was better than Wright. Mattingly was the best player in the league. I never thought Wright was, but Wright was a very good offensive player who was on his way to a very big career, like a 3,000-hit career kind of year, and and like 1,500 RBIs and 3,000 hits kind of career. And I think he would have been – they both would have been Hall of Famers if their backs hadn't given out. I agree with that. But I think Mattingly was better. Uh, Chris in Jersey, if you could start an NFL team and pick from a league of players to build a team – is there one player on the Giants or Jets that would make that team? Well, yeah, Sauce Gardner's making the team right now. And you have linemen on both teams who are very worthy of being considered for both teams. Barkley wouldn't be my first choice at running back. I don't have anybody else but Gardner for sure. And I would say they both have defensive linemen that would be in the running. Um, John and Jersey, we all know Namath is the best quarterback in Jet history, but who would you say was second? Uh, you know, you're going to come down to Kenny O'Brien, Chad Pennington, Vinny. I thought the guy who had the best year other than Joe Willie was Vinny. When they went to the AFC title game with Parcells and lost to Denver 23 to 10, Vinny that year was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And 
He was 29 touchdowns, seven intercepts, had an MVP-type season for the Jets that year, and the Jets had a great year. Um, going into that season, remember, the next year, they really thought they were going to be a Super Bowl team, and Vinny went down in the first half of the first game for the season. I mean, so, I mean, it just shows you what can happen to your best laid plans. As you know, he went down with that Achilles tendon uh, tear in the first game of the next year. Uh, Peter, do you like Met Stadium? I think it's awful. Uh, if you've ever heard me talk about MetLife, you know that I think it is one of the great follies and one of the great disasters in New York history. Um, I think the Jets and the Giants and Jets, to make the Giants the lead partner here. First of all, the Jets shouldn't have partnered. They should have gone to Queens and, and built the stadium there with the Mets. They had great plans, and they should have done it. They would never get in the West Side Stadium. Number two, the Giants and the Jets are the only teams in NFL history, in my, in my mind, that actually built a stadium, a new stadium, a spanking new stadium that was not as good as the stadium they had. <laughs> so, and it cost a fortune. They wanted to put a roof on it. They couldn't come up with the other $225 million. There were all kinds of overruns. They had to put in seat licenses. The thing destroyed the franchise for the Giants, as far as I'm concerned. It is the biggest mistake they ever made, and there was not enough they got from that new stadium. As a matter of fact, the stadium stinks. I never liked it from day one. Greg, you made the point recently that the Knicks are now Brunson's team. Do you think they should move on from Randall? Um, I said they are becoming his team. They are not completely his team yet, but they should be. And the answer about Randall is 100%. If I could get a decent deal from him, I would send them back in tomorrow. Who do you think was a better quarterback? This is Keith. Based on their pure talent alone, not the numbers, Elway or Marino? Well, Elway was a better athlete. He had a rifle. He was not nearly as accurate as Marino. First of all, they both are great quarterback talents, all-time quarterback talents, number one. Put that down. Number two, nobody this side of Namath had a better release, a quicker release, or more accuracy than Marino. He was a brilliant thrower, brilliant, classic thrower. He wasn't very mobile. Elway had his legs, which were a very big positive for him. He had incredible talent at the position. He had the kind of talent that Starbuck had, even had a stronger arm. And he had escapability. He could run. He had a rifle for an arm and was as talented as you could be, but he was wild early in his career. And he was not the most accurate guy in the world. Um, if I remember correctly, this is Paul. You and Dog started Radio Row. Uh, we didn't know about Radio Row. All we knew is we went to the Super Bowl um, with Super Bowl thirty-five, actually uh, twenty-five. Actually, we were there before that. The year before, uh, with the Bears, and the year before that, uh, with the Niners, we were in. Both of those cities, and we were the only ones there. There were, Eddie Andelman would come in for a couple of days. There would be like a local station. I remember when we were in New Orleans when the Niners beat Denver, you know, killed them 55 to 10 or whatever that final score was. That's the game where Holmgren told me that 
every play we have in the book is going to work. Um, there was a local show that was on with us, but we were the only show there. And then little by little shows sprinkled up around us till all of a sudden there was a million shows there and Radio Row was born. If you're asking me what year it was completely born, I think the first Dallas Super Bowl against Buffalo was the first time I noticed there were a lot of stations around. I think. If, if so, whose idea was it to go to the Super Bowl? Well, let me say this. I don't remember that. But what I would say is, if it was a remote, it was probably Dog more than me because Dog was much more into going to remotes than I was. But... I was not against going to the Super Bowl. I know we had to do it. Um, but Dog liked remotes a lot more than I did. A lot more. He loved remotes. So I would give him the credit for that. Um, Adam in Delaware. Patrick Reed, is he good for golf? I don't think he matters one way or the other. You know, a lot of people paint him as a villain. He's not big enough to be... Let's be honest. His personality and his actions aren't big enough in terms of his golf to get him enough notice. He's not that important to the game, I don't think. He's not, he's not that kind of player. He's a good player. And he's a dangerous player, good Ryder Cup player, you know, good pressure player. But he's not a, you know, not a great player. He's a good player. Tommy in North Carolina. Why was Roger Staubach not able to take the Cowboy job from Craig Morton? Uh, until his third year in the league, if the Cowboys won Super Bowl V, would Starbucks still have taken the job eventually? Yes, yes, and yes. The reason why was, and this is the biggest mistake Landry ever made, and this was a flaw in Landry's coaching, in that Landry, and you've seen it depicted in North Dallas 40, Landry and the computer, the computer, the computer, you know, uh, we are, you know, we were 8% below Excellent and 5% below expectation. You know, that kind of nonsense. The bottom line was he didn't go to Roger despite the entire team wanting to go to Roger, despite the offense lighting up when Roger played. He didn't go to Roger because of the fact that Roger liked to break the plays and he was not comfortable with Roger breaking his plays. And Roger liked to go in there and improvise. And his ability to improvise and scramble and be Roger the Dodger and make plays, it took Landry a long time to allow that to be part of who they were because he wasn't comfortable with it. He wasn't comfortable with relinquishing control to the talents of his quarterback. It cost him Super Bowl V if they had played him. If the Dallas defense was so good that if they had played him now, let me say this about Morton. Morton was a talented quarterback. I never liked him, and he always there was something always missing with him. But he had a lot of ability. Craig Morton, there's no question. He went to Denver and did well. He had a lot of ability. So it wasn't like Roger was beaten out was getting beaten out by a bum. But the reason he didn't play him and it divided the team and it annoyed the team that he didn't play him. And I think the reason he played eventually is because the team, Lanchy finally gave into the team and the defensive guys complaining, hey, let this guy play. This guy's great. Let him play. And they finally let him play. And when he did, he became, you know, the brilliant Roger the Dodger, won 
two Super Bowls for them. Also lost two classic games to the Steelers. And in the 21-17 game, he threw the ball that hit Percy Howard's fingers in the end zone. And in the 35-31 game, which was 35-17, he put the scare of life into everybody who was a Steeler fan and the Steeler players on the sideline. You watched them helplessly watching as Roger was making this incredible comeback, which he was very, very, you know, want to do, to make these incredible comebacks, you know, as he did against San Francisco in the final minute 30, as he did in that Super Bowl when he was down 35-17 and came back and made it 35-31, and they were lining up for the onside kick, and the Steelers looked like they had fear in their eyes that if he gets the ball back, we're going to lose. He was that dynamic a player. And Landry made a mistake, and it cost him at least one Super Bowl, maybe more, if he had moved quicker to Roger. And Roger, who was not the smartest of quarterbacks in, in that it took him a while to learn the game plan. But more than that, Roger wanted to rely on his instincts, which were brilliant and were legendary. And Landry didn't want that. And that's why it took him a while to meet up as a quarterback and coach. And they eventually did. And the Super Bowls that Dallas won with Starbuck, they won 24-3 to against the Dolphins. They won 27-10 against Denver. They won those games in routes. And then lost two heartbreakers to the Steelers and to Bradshaw and to the great Steeler teams. And in both those games, it became very, very interesting. You had two great quarterbacks. Terry doesn't get enough credit, and Roger was just absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. All right, as we said, we have a big week of programs for you this week. Wall to wall. So keep looking for new podcasts. We're going to be there. With Super Bowl stuff, with interviews, with analysis, with our last Football Friday podcast of the season, which will be up by noon on Friday. So, and then we will have a post-mortem for you. I'll come down and do it right after the game. When the game ends around 10 o'clock or 9.40 or 9.50, after I see them uh, do an interview, I will come down and do a post-mortem and put a, uh, put a ribbon on this season, on what we watch coming up this Sunday in Arizona. So busy week. Stay with us. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever. You get your podcasts.